Hey guys. Well, first, Merry Christmas. And uh, just really excited about this series. Uh, I just uh, really feel that, that it's important, uh, especially as uh, a lot more noise is happening about just the, the kind of the idea of Christmas. And I think that this series could really help clarify just who we are as, as followers of Christ and, and, and how important is really December 25th and how much energy should we put in it. You know, first off, I, I think about this just terminology, war on Christmas, and it's really a misnomer. It's really a battle on Christmas uh, in the war on our faith, in the war of Christianity. Uh, in, in war, there are many battles. Uh, some, uh, some battles have great strategic value, while, while, while other battles are, are just rather pointless. Uh, this was a case, uh, there's, I, I want to share with you two battles in American history that kind of show kind of a turning point battle that, that was fought that helped win the war, and another pointless battle uh, uh, that really didn't uh, amount to anything. The first one uh, is the Battles of Saratoga. There was actually two at a very uh, short period, September 19th and October 7th, 1777 in the War of Independence or the Revolutionary War. And basically the, the British uh, were mounting an attack in the, the first battle over Saratoga. Uh, they, they had some victory and everything, but in the second one, the Americans rallied and, and came along and it was by the victory in this, in this battle, and it was actually historians look back and say this was a turning point in the Revolutionary War. This was the point where the world took notice and said, hey, you know, these Yankees um, or these Americans are, are for real and we're going to come in and, and uh, you know, assist them. It was in this battle that, that, that many historians think, you know, this is... This was the battle, the turning point that, that made this nation that we all live in today. <clears throat> the second battle uh, was really a, a pointless battle, uh, battle by all accounts of historians. And, and this was uh, in the Vietnam War. And uh, the battle was called uh, Hamburger Hill. You may, you may know it. There's a, there's a movie about it. And... It's, it's one of the, the, the most senseless uh, loss of life uh, uh, in, in battles that America has ever engaged in. Essentially what happened was there's this hill. This hill was uh, labeled uh, uh, Hill 937. And some commanders decided that they wanted to take this well-fortified hill. So they called down to the army and the special forces, and they ordered a full frontal attack. And for the next 10 days, um, the Americans attacked and attacked and attacked. And after 10 days, uh, laid uh, about 1,000 people dead on, on, on both sides. And uh, they had uh, won that battle. Now, this, this hill had little to no uh, strategic value. And about three weeks later, Command called down and said, hey, I know you guys, you know, lost an enormous amount of life trying to take this hill, and I know you're not under any pressure, but uh, just withdraw your troops. 
because this hill actually doesn't matter. And my fear is that the battle of Christmas is a lot more like Hamburger Hill than the battle of Saratoga. That, that my, my, uh, my fear is that a lot of energy of followers of Christ and Christians uh, are being spent on, on, a, on a frontal assault on something that, that really may not matter in the scheme of things, and we're trying to take or defend something that really doesn't need to be defended. Now, before we get too deep into this, let me, let me say I love Christmas time. I love celebrating Christmas. I love turkey. I like goose. I like, uh, you know, uh, we have a Christmas tree in my home, and, and I always tell my wife, Shannon, that we have to get a big tree because everyone knows that the size of your tree is indicative of your love for Jesus, right? <laughs> so so this, is not, this is not a bashing of Christmas or saying we shouldn't participate in Christmas. I participate in Christmas. You know, look around you. There's reefs. There's a mountain of toys over there. I'm, I'm really stoked about that. That is going to be a wild party. Uh, I'm really excited about how we're doing it this year, Elizabeth. It's very, very cool. Um, so, uh, you know, this is not against Christmas, but really, you know, the point of the battle of trying to war with the world over, you know, you know should we say Merry Christmas or shouldn't we say Merry Christmas or, or things like that. So to help us along... I'm going to start in Ephesians just to kind of frame everything, but then I'm just going to interview Jesus and, and, and just ask him the question why he came, and we're going to go through uh, Scripture and, and have Jesus answer the question why he came. So if you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, right at the beginning, uh, Paul reminds us that we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly place. So, you know, we're not fighting against the government. We're not, we're not fighting against individuals. We're not, that is not our battle. Our battle is for hearts and minds. Our battle is to let people know that there is an alternative to kind of the, the cultural norm that, that we all live in. In fact, it's one of the most exciting things. Like, do you guys know how exciting it is that, that we live in a time that Christianity is not for the good people, is not for the people who are, who are culturally, you know, kind of in the mainstream, that we're rebels. Those of us who are followers of Christ are rebellious, rebellious saying, you know what, I'm not going to go down the path that everyone else is going down. I am going to take another route. I'm going to follow this revolutionary, this guy named Jesus. And I think it's an exciting time. It's no longer, you know, Christianity is not for goody two-shoes. Christianity is for the people who are going against the system, you know, rebels with a cause, right? And so it's really cool. So he's, he's laying out and saying, look, our battle is, is not, you know, what we can see. So he goes on and he says in, you know, the metaphor of the battle, look, put on the armor of God. Put on every piece of God's armor so you can resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Now, right off, you know, how this relates to, to the actual December 25th. 
We're meant to put on the belt of truth. Okay, December 25th, what is it really? Winter solstice. I'll just help you out. Was Jesus actually born on December 25th? No. He was born in the spring. Now, I'm not against celebrating the life of our, of our, our Lord or, or the birth of our Lord. And we'll get into that more. But, but if we are meant to be people of truth, then let's be people of truth. Let's put on our, our belt of truth. And goes on and, and, and it says, Then put on your body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. This, this good news that what? That God so loved us that he sent his only son. So we will be fully prepared. In addition to these, hold up the shield of faith to stop fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, here, here is an is a essential question that you need to answer as we go into this series. If the battle about Christmas is truly about Jesus, then perhaps we should ask Jesus why he came. And we should search Scripture and see, is, is December 25th the reason that he came? That in 21st century America, that people will trample themselves to get a, you know, a Best Buy deal. Or is there a different reason? So the first part of our interview, of this three-part interview of Jesus, is first the question, Jesus, will you please answer the question, why did you come? And as far as I could found, uh, found in my study is Jesus gives us seven reasons why he came. The first one is fulfillment. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I have come. Excellent. Great verse to start with. Don't misunderstand why, you, why he has come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Now, this is an interesting verse and and. and I can't tell you how many people, you know, every single week, honestly, come up to me and they come up to me with some obscure, uh, you know, Old Testament law, Old Testament law of Moses and say, you know, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And there's all sorts of them. There's ones about tattoos. There's ones about jewelry. There, there's ones about, about trees that are decorated and that we're not meant to worship them. Okay, there's all sorts of things, that, you know, in the Old Testament, in all of these Old Testament laws. And, and they say, well, Jesus came to accomplish their purpose. You know, he didn't come to a, abolish the law of the Moses. So are we meant to be subject to that? And at that point, I step back and I say, whoa, time out, time out. What is the purpose of the law? What is it? I mean, that's what Jesus says. He says, no, I came to accomplish the purpose of the law. 
Well, let me tell you, whenever I don't understand something in the Bible, not only one of the 613 laws of Moses that culturally do not make much sense to me or, or, or anybody here in the 21st century, but, but they're there for a reason, right? They were there for a, a people and, and people who were trying to understand their relationship with God and how to... Uh, uh, build that relationship. If Jesus came to it to uh, bring that uh, to adhere to the purpose, or or uh, acknowledge the purpose, or bring the purpose of, or accomplish the purpose of of the law, what is that? So what I usually do is I take a few steps back and I ask some questions of Scripture. I say, you know what? How does this law either begin a right relationship with God or establish a right relationship with people? How does it repair a right relationship with God or a right relationship with people? Or how does um, it restore a right relationship with God or a right relationship with people? And you would be amazed. I have not found any exception that when you look and you approach the Bible and say, what is the purpose of God's word? Well, it is, it is flat out, it is that. It is to, to restore or build or begin a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. And everything in Scripture, even if it's culturally funky, that we can go back and if we can get past the culture, we can see that that was given to begin um, build or restore a right relationship with God or a right relationship with people. So when we look back and, and, and Jesus says, look, the number one reason um, here or the first one that we're talking about that, that I came was to accomplish what the law could not accomplish. And that was restore a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. The next thing that it, he says the reason he came is found in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. And he says, for even the Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself, came not to be served, but to serve others. I think this, the humility of this statement always strikes me every time I read it, that the creator of the universe, he came not to be served, but to serve. Now, Jesus wasn't opposed to being served. Uh, Martha served Jesus, and he wasn't upset about it. He accepted the food that a woman anointed him uh, in, in perfume, and he, and he was perfectly okay with that. But, but that was not the reason that he came. That is not why he came. He did not come to uh, be served, but to serve. Serve how? He came to serve by giving his life as a ransom for men, many. And that's the next reason why he came, um, is payment for our transgressions. In John chapter 12 and verse 27, he says, My soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour, this hour before he gets arrested and he's crucified. But this is the very reason I came. The, the impact of this, of this statement makes me shudder because I think a lot of times people are like, oh, is his soul deeply troubled because he you know, he's about to be crucified. Now, I don't want to minimize that. That is probably the, the, the most gruesome torture that man has ever developed. But, but I believe 
that the physical pain that he was facing paled in comparison to the emotional and spiritual uh, pain that he knew he was going to experience. You see, Jesus uh, was with God for eternity. We know in John 1.1 that in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word is Logos, which is Jesus. And this idea that, that you know what, for eternity, Jesus knew perfect community. That, that Jesus was in perfect communal, community harmony with God the Father and God the Spirit. And that is the perfection. That is, that is the elevated idea. That is the ideal state of perfect community. And for eternity, that is all that he knew. And what happened when he was crucified on the cross? He took on the sins of the world. And all of a sudden, the, the Trinity, the, the perfect community that he had been part of, this holy union, which was absolutely pure, now Jesus took on sin and no longer could be part of that community. And he was taken out of what he had always known, and he was isolated. And I, I don't know if you can really kind of comprehend. I know I can't really comprehend the magnitude of what this must have been like. But I try to like think about relationships that I am tight with. And, uh, you know, you, when you're away from somebody that, you know, you're kind of pulled away, you have that, that empty feeling that's, you know, a lot of psychologists have called it separation anxiety. And could you imagine the separation anxiety that Jesus must have been going under knowing that his whole world for eternity previous is about to be turned upside down? That he's going to go from perfect love and perfect unity, which is our, our understanding of, of heaven, to isolation, which is complete separation from God, which is hell. And he's sitting there and he's like, my soul is deeply troubled, you think? You know, and should I pray? Should God save me from this hour? But he's like, no, this is the very reason that I came, was to pay this price. The next thing that Jesus uh, answers the question, why did I come, that, that he says that uh, to be a light. In John chapter 12 and verse 46, he says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer live in the dark. You know, light is most effective when? It's when, it, when it's dark. In fact, uh, one thing that my family always uh, does is when we, uh, we decorate our Christmas tree and we have all the lights on it, the first thing that, that we do is turn off the lights so we can see the splendor of the tree. You ever do that? Of course you've done that. Nobody would admit it in the 11. They're all like, what? You're crazy. And I'm like, no, you do it. Everybody does it. I, I, or think about this. You know, nobody goes and, and cruises neighborhoods to look at Christmas lights at 12 noon, right? It'd be ridiculous. Light is the most beautiful when it is in darkness. That's when lights show their splendor. And it's true of Jesus and it's true of us. 
The next thing that he did was he came to seek and save the lost. Uh, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus says, look, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He didn't come for those who, who uh, you know, that had it all together or things like that. In fact, if you turn to Matthew chapter 9 in, in verse 10, it's one of my favorite stories about Jesus calling a disciple. He called this disciple who was a tax collector, Matthew. And after Jesus called this tax collector, Matthew, uh, through a party, uh, he says, in fact, it goes on, it says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I love that. I like parties with disreputable sinners. In fact, I would like a t-shirt someday that says, disreputable sinners because that's what I am. I'm a disreputable sinner. But when the Pharisees saw this, so here we have Jesus being a light in a dark place and, and being the place where light is needed. Guys who are meant to be the light, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, the pastors, the rabbis, when they saw this, they said, they asked the disciples because they didn't have enough courage to ask Jesus, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Can you just feel the love, that, that God's love flowing through these men of God? No, of course not. When Jesus heard this, he, this is what he said. He said, healthy people do not need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Jesus is, is basically reading the bell, ringing the bell, ding, ding, school's in. You're going to be schooled right now. I need you to go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And this is the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus is saying, look, you guys think it's about the ritual? You think it's about the high holy days? You think it's about the seven festivals of our Jewish faith? You think it's about a hand washing or the laws of Moses? You know what? I need you guys to go back to Scripture and get beyond what it literally says and look at the heart and mind of what God is trying to accomplish here. And then he adds this, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. And that's why a pastor like myself would be proud to write or wear a disreputable sinner t-shirt because I really don't care if other people want me to create a facade for them. What I care about is that Jesus knows that I am sick and I need his healing hand. The next one is as far as seeking and save the lost was, is found in John chapter 12 and, and verse 47. And he says this, and this is bizarre to me culturally in Christian culture. 
this statement by Jesus. Jesus says this, I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. Let me say that again because it, it doesn't sound right. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not to judge it. Just side note here. Just for those of us who are followers of Christ. If the person we're meant to be following flat out says, the reason I came, this is why I came, was not to judge anyone, but to save them. Where does any Christian get off thinking that they are the judge? I don't know. Next one. Jesus came to be an invitation. Mark chapter 1, verse 38. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well. Why did they have to go on to other towns as well? Because you know what? Sometimes your message is received and you get comfortable and, and things are nice. But he's like, look, you know what? Once there is a bunch of light, it's time to keep on moving. Yeah, you know what? You want to plug in the source of, of that light so you can keep illuminated. But you know what? Lighted places don't often need a whole lot more light. It's the dark places that need the light. So he says, look, I will preach to them too. What was he going to preach? That God loves them, that they matter to God. That you may be sitting in isolation in the dark, but you know what? A light is here and I want to invite you into relationship with me and a restored relationship with God. And then finally, I want to end with this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. And this is, this is a hard statement of why Jesus came. In fact, these are, this is one of the statements that uh, if I ever do a series called why, or Things I Wish was not in the Bible, Were Not in the Bible, this would be probably the first lesson. Because it, it's kind of hard. Come on. There's plenty of stuff in the Bible you just wish wasn't there, right? Like tithing and serving and, and loving your enemy and all, all that kind of stuff out, you know. Uh, but, you know, that it's not about what we want in it, right? It is about God's vision for our life. And, and when, you know, I'm about to read this statement, it's, it's a hard statement, especially if you read it in its full context. Jesus says, look, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. Okay, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this is not a endorsement for the Crusades. This is not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is saying here is, is actually uh, a little bit complex, but, but, it, but it's really um, uh, profound too. And I think it's important that we spend a couple of minutes just to kind of like pull it out. In the full context, Jesus is saying, look, families are going to be ripped apart because of me. That, that, you know what, there may be internal peace, but, but there's going to be relational disharmony. And this is true. Whenever clarity happens, that there is the opportunity for disharmony. Even in our, in our move, that, you know, 
we are, we are, we are moving and, 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 and we all believe that, hey, the next space that God has opened up for us is going to be so much better for our church. We're going to be able to, uh, it's going to be able to facilitate ministry so much better. But uh, my business, uh, our business administrator, Lori Green, her son, he has never known any other church facility, and he is not happy about it. In fact, he's like, no, you know, we can't move. No, we're not, we're not going to go. You know, just the, the clarity of, hey, we're moving, it, it, that clarity was, you know, he's like, wait a second, no, we can't move. You know, I don't want to go. And and, you know, try to, you know, talk to him and, and explain, you know, it's going to be such a better space, especially for the youth and the kids and, and stuff like that. And, and he's like, nah, you know, he's not having any of it. I even tried to be clever. And I'm like, you've been to Wild Adventures, right? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. It's like you're at Wild Adventures. And Wild Adventures is pretty cool if you don't know anything else, right? You know, uh, you know, in fact, the scariest thing about Wild Adventures when I'm on the roller coaster is knowing they don't have the budget to properly maintain those roller coasters. Uh, so you sit there and, and, and everything, and it's imagine if somebody's at Wild Adventures and they've never gone anywhere else, and you go up to them and go, dude, tomorrow I am going to take you like, to, I'm going to take you to Disneyland. In fact, and they're like, well, what's Disney like? Disneyland like, or excuse me, Disney World. We're on the East Coast, Right. And what is it like? And it's like, dude, it's like Disney World. I mean, it's like awesome. You know, we even have expressions. You know, it's going to be like Disney World. At least on the West Coast, we would say that. It's going to be like Disneyland. And everything's like, no, I want to stay here. And, and things like that. And it's like, you know what? Clarity brings conflict. Now, let me bring this even a little, a step more. Just to bring more clarity to what I believe Jesus is saying here. Those of you who are married or in serious dating relationships or uh, like, I'm talking real serious, that like you announced it to your family and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I can hear the uncomfortable laughter because this is what happens whenever you bring that special someone, it makes, you know, your heart race a little bit every time, you know, they call with their special little ringtone and everything. <laughs> When you say, I am going, you know, we are, you know, a monogamous relationship that, that you know, we are going to be married and stuff like that. You know what that does? Tears families apart. I've been a pastor for a long time, and I see it again and again and again. People do all sorts of funky things like, oh, well, I'm not going to the wedding. Or I'll go to the wedding, but I'm not going to sit there. Or I'm not going to toast you. Or, or you know, and, and, and all of this kind of, you, you know what I'm talking about? No? Okay, you guys, well, when you experience, like, I, I can see some of the, 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 more, the more seasoned among us. Or, or, or you know, uh, just let me tell you that, that when you bring that special somebody home, that there's going to be people in your family that are going to be dead set against that other person. It doesn't matter what you do or what you say. And this is what happens with Jesus. When you say, you know what? I am going to serve and I'm going to follow this Jesus. That people say, yeah, not so much. I've lost friends over being a follower of Christ. And holy cow, I'm like one of the most least obnoxious followers of Christ you'll ever meet. Like, I'm not going to push it down your throat at all. 
So I'm obnoxious in a lot of other ways, but they said it's because I was Jesus' follower. So. But that's just the way it is. When, you, when clarity comes, that, that separation happens because clarity brings people to a point of decision. So Jesus came scripturally. Why Jesus came was for seven things. Fulfillment, service, payment, light, to seek and save, invitation, and clarity. I searched and searched the scripture for he came for us to culturally battle over some date in late December. I couldn't find it. I just couldn't find it. I even looked at like things like John 12, 25. Nothing. But this is what I did find. That Jesus wants us actually to celebrate with our lives 365 days a year. To be a light in this dark and hurting world. To follow Jesus so closely that we're covered in his dust. That we are beautiful lights in this dark and hurting world. That we live every day as it is, would be Christmas Day. As a celebration of our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys pray with me. Dear God, I just uh, thank you for this time together. I thank you that you uh, gave us so much clarity about who you are and why you came. God, I pray that this is helpful to uh, people in our community, that we will fight the right fight, that we, uh, we will not uh, engage in senseless battles that don't matter, but that we will relentlessly pursue what you have envisioned us to be and what you have called us to do. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.